0: It's twelve oh eight. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. First of all, a special thank you to the hundreds and hundreds of people who came out for our sixth annual Operation of Operation Honor Salute to Veterans, put on by the City of Waukesha. It was Saturday afternoon, and um, just a a tremendous program. And I've been very, very uh, honored, and I use that word literally to have emceed the program for the last six years. Shared the podium with the. guest speaker and of course the mayor of the city of waukesha sean riley and they had the great lakes naval band and a dinner it was just it was absolutely outstanding so thanks to everyone who came out for that all right i mentioned this right as we were doing the the trade-off with steve scafidi and myself um we're going to be talking about this in the one o'clock hour it is a woman who works for a, an it contractor in in virginia who was bicycling when the president's motorcade was going past last week, and she thought it would be clever to make an obscene gesture at the motorcade. Somebody took a picture of it, and then she said, Hey, this is me. That's great. So she put it up on her Facebook profile um because she was very, very proud of this. Well, her employer, who is a government contractor, and uh, the upper brass that that company had given money to the Trump campaign, they weren't amused, and they fired her. So um, we're going to be talking about that. She's now become a hero of the left. She say, hey, "I did this on my own time. You know, why should I suffer any sort of consequences?" We are going to be discussing this in the one o'clock hour of the program. But if you want to see the photograph that is creating such a stir, if you simply text the word finger f-i-n-g-e-r text the word finger to 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line um we'll, we'll send you the, the picture and a kind of a link to the story we're going to be discussing in the one o'clock hour of the program all right we start off today's show like we start off every show with three big things unfortunately the lead-off story is a story which the 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 location changes, but the result is once again the same. Yesterday, the the dominant story is, of course, the mass shooting at a small church in a small town outside of San Antonio, Texas. 26 people dead, 20 other people injured, 16 of them critically injured, four seriously injured. You have a 26-year-old guy who... We don't want to be too judgmental, but let's be judgmental. If you use the term loser, this would describe this particular character who apparently, you know, during high school, he was one of those kids that everybody thought was a a bit odd. He um, enters the Air Force dishonorably discharged from the Air Force following um, he apparently assaulted his then wife and small child leaves the Air Force on a dishonorable discharge, gets married again, apparently is estranged from his current wife and has issues with his in-laws. So anyhow, the the guy, dressed in black, carrying a couple handguns and an AR-15 semi-automatic rifle, walks into this small church yesterday morning, starts shooting, kills 26 people. I think, what they say, the, the youngest victim was 16, eight, 18 months old. I mean, he, he's shooting women, he's shooting children, he's shooting kids. He then starts to flee. This is, of course, Texas, and everybody is armed. And there's a couple you know, people who are in the area who see this, They grab their guns and start shooting at him. He's wearing body armor, but apparently um, one or two of the people who are shooting at him hit him um, in some of the places where the body armor doesn't cover. Ultimately, um, a chase ensues. And he crashes his car outside the county line and they find him dead. It's still a little bit unclear as to whether he took his own life, but I don't think so. I think what happened is it was one or two of these bystanders who were chasing and shooting at him who who fired what ended up being the killing shot. So, you know, it's a horrible horrible story it plays out unfortunately often I mean this is just a few weeks after you know the Las Vegas shooting and you know it seems like it's one after another where you have these dangerously mentally ill losers who decide they're going to act out the current theory is they say they know his motive they say he was mad at his mother-in-law and so his mother-in-law attends this church although she wasn't there yesterday So he decides he's going to walk in and shoot up the church, killing as many people as possible. How you get from point A to point B in this deranged guy's mind, I don't know. But, you know, it is, again, it is what it is. The crime scene, the tape from the crime scene is not even all put up before some of the usual suspects decide that they want to politicize the story. Now, you, you could point to a number of people who who did this, including some prominent politicians. But I want to start with a woman named Chelsea Handler. Now, Gru, who's producing the show today, do you know who Chelsea Handler is? Yeah, you do. Okay. Chelsea Handler, a, a kind of C-list comedian who came to fame doing her own like late-night cable show a few years ago. It's it's not on the, the air and, anymore. But, you know, and, and Chelsea Handler always kind of sort of out there. She said that she was ending her cable show because she wanted to concentrate on politics. I think that the networks were just very fine with that because her cable show, I think, was struggling towards the end. But anyhow, she takes to social media in the immediate aftermath of this shooting, and here is what she tweets. Innocent people go to church on Sunday to honor their God and while doing so, get shot and killed. She meant to write and killed, but she writes, get shot and killed. What country? America. Why? Republicans, she writes. Republicans. So, because of Republicans, presumably Republicans who have fought for some of the gun control measures which have been talked about, Republicans are the ones that are responsible for this shooting in Texas. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Now, President Trump takes the social media, first of all, to express his consult- condolences and then to go on to say, you know, this isn't about guns. This is a mental health sort of problem. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. Okay. Chelsea Handler decides to politicize this, but importantly, she echoes kind of the party line. The reason for this shooting is because of all those Republicans that are out there. All right. Do you agree with this? Is this, is this a fair commentary? Is this a reasonable thing to say? Hey, you know, we, we've had all these multiple shootings, unfortunately, in this country, and they appear to be ratcheting up. Is this fair to blame Republicans for this? Or are there larger issues at play? I have a definitive theory, but I want to discuss this with you. Are Republicans to blame for what happened yesterday? 414-799-1620. We discuss in two and a half minutes. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's twelve sixteen. It's twelve nineteen. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. The Bucks road trip carries them into Cleveland tomorrow as they look to snap a three game skid. Would it be fair to say the Bucks are a huge disappointment so far this year? Maybe. It's Giannis versus LeBron, part two, and Ted Davis' courtside with our Bucs shots pregame coverage at 540 Tuesday evening. All right. In the immediate aftermath of the horrible shooting in Texas yesterday, this D-list comedian, um, Chelsea Handler, decides to go on Twitter and say, well, this is exactly what she ended up texting. Innocent people go to church on Sunday to honor their God, and while doing so, get shot and killed. What country? America. Why? Republicans. All right. Come on, Republicans. Are you going to own this? Are you the ones responsible for this mentally deranged loser who killed 26 people and wounded 20 more? 414-799-1620. Let's start with Wayne in Milwaukee. Wayne, good afternoon.
1: Yeah, hi, Jeff. Hi, Wayne. Uh, that is really crazy what she tweeted. It's not a Democrat, Republican, or even a law thing. It's a bad person making a bad decision. has nothing to do with laws, nothing to do with Republican or Democrat. But you know what, Jeff? With These tweets... I've been noticing the intellect of people that tweet, even Donald Trump. It's kind of childish, and well, that's what I think about it.
0: Well, no, thanks. I mean, right, and I guess, I mean, right, it's evil and it's, it's mentally ill. My guess is that there's, for example, my guess is there's a lot of Democrats down in Texas who um, carry firearms as well, and who would vigorously fight efforts to try to take their firearms uh, away. Now, in this particular case, and, and one thing, it's still a little bit unclear. The governor of Texas implied that as a result of the guy being dishonorably discharged, he shouldn't have been able to buy the, the firearm that he used. That's unclear. I, I don't know if, if that's exactly the case or, or not. But, I mean, clearly, you know, you have a situation where you had somebody who should not have had the firearm. But at the same time, you know, what what are you going to end up doing unless you're seriously Chelsea Handler talking about trying to confiscate firearms and things like that? But this idea to try to politicize this in this fashion um, it is just, it's nothing short of appalling. Um, you know, Bill in Oconomowoc says uh, this is just somebody who's just trying to, again, get her name out there to, in a pathetic attempt to try to get some attention. I, I think there's probably something like that going on as well. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Dave and Racine. Dave, you're at 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Good afternoon. Uh, well, uh, just one thing with uh, when uh, Chelsea Handler uh, mentioned about uh, uh Gun control opponents being like Hitler the NRA and Republicans it was Hitler who signed a gun control act of 1938 that said I have a feeling that gut like she like all gun control advocates are basically hate mongers whose prejudice towards firearms is has there's the same pathology as the uh, hate that a uh, xenophobe would have to have persons of other races and and as far as gun control you know it's uh, like any other panacea, it could be described by this saying, if wishes was horses, we'd all be eating steak right now.
0: Huh. Well, I, I mean, I guess I – look, I, and, and I never know, you know, what what this means. And, again, we, we've talked about this. If you've been a regular listener to this program for the 23 years that have been doing a show either full-time or part-time in this market, I mean, I, I do think that you can put reasonable limits on – I don't think that anything is is absolute – And I I think, you know, um, you're in a situation now where after, for example, after Las Vegas, we talked about, you know, regulations of on these, these bump stock type of things. I think that's something we need to discuss. I think the size of magazines is something that reasonable people could discuss. But the truth of the matter is. You know, unless you're actually going to try to go door to door and confiscate people's firearms, explain to me how you prevent a situation like this when you have this mentally deranged loser. To me, you know, blaming Republicans for this is appalling. Now, if you want to say we need to do more um dealing with mental health if you want to make the argument hey maybe we should be more proactive maybe we should we we should take some of these people who are clearly out there and lock them up in advance but i doubt that that's going to be the approach that somebody like chelsea handler is going to take 414-799-1620 mike in east troy mike you're on 620 wtmj good afternoon
2: hey good afternoon jeff thanks for taking the call sure you know i was talking with your screener and you know it is not the republicans fault that this is happening you know this Chelsea Handler. Now I know why her show failed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you know, when we I use the example with your uh, with your screener. When a drunk driver hits somebody, do we blame the car?
0: Well, no, we blame the drunk, as we should. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and the, well, the responsible person is the person that commits the crime.
0: Yes, it, it, exactly. Now, right? Maybe the idea is. That well, gee, he had he if if we if there weren't guns and he couldn't get access to the gun, maybe he wouldn't be able to do it. But but chances are he would have been able to figure out another way to act that out anyhow. But still, there there are guns. You're not going to be able unless you're going to go door to door and confiscate every sort of firearm. And I guess I, I'm just. I'm tired of, you know, people trying to make political hay out of these various tragedies with this knee-jerk reaction. Well, it's got to be all about gun control. No, that doesn't stop this particular problem.
2: You no, know, I, w- I would agree with you totally. I mean, as I told your screener as well, I'm a Second Amendment person myself. And, you know, we get, a lot of us out here get so tired of the blame on the gun, on the gun. You know, we're told, we've been told on the media when we have any of these big shootings, If you see something, tell somebody. If you see something, tell somebody. If someone saw some instability with this person, they should have said something. That might have prevented it.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think I think even I think it's going to come out that even some people did because this guy was really antisocial. But the problem, you know, one of the things we have, Mike, living in a free country is just because people are engaging or are saying antisocial things on their Facebook pages or whatever, we don't go out we don't lock them up. And, you know, maybe, maybe we should. Maybe that's an argument for being more proactive on people who are expressing these sort of weird antisocial type of things. But my guess is, like I say, Chelsea Handler would be appalled if something like that was happening.
2: Yeah. yeah, she would. You know, you can monitor them. I'm not saying lock them up per se, but, right. you know, when you see this behavior, you know, let's start taking note of this, and maybe there's something that can be prevented if you can get that person the necessary help before something like this happens.
0: Right, exactly. Now, in this particular case, what it strikes me, and, again, details are are emerging And you know it's only been you know a little over twenty four hours since this happened, but what you have is this very antisocial loser. I mean, there's all right. The guy, the guy goes into the air force. He's got a low level job in the air force. He ends up getting dishonorably discharged because of assaultive behavior towards his wife and child. He gets divorced. He gets remarried again to a woman, and apparently that wasn't working out very well, and this is all designed. I mean, the whole thing is just so bizarre. Now, obviously, there's a degree of mental illness that's here, but, my God, his motive is apparently that what he wants to do is he wants to go, and he's unhappy with his mother-in-law, so he goes to their church. The mother-in-law is not even there, and he decides to just shoot up the church. But, I mean, this this idea that we're going to blame a particular party – for this dangerous, mentally ill person who acts out in this fashion. Really? Come on. Renee in New Berlin. Renee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, Jeff. Hi, Renee. Well, she's sitting on her brains again honest to god you know i'm so tired of people blaming the republicans for anything let me tell you let me ask you this if a person goes and buys let's say guns weren't legal okay so if a person wants a gun they're going to get a gun they're going to get a gun off the streets if they want a gun bad enough they're going to get a gun absolutely it doesn't matter if they're legal or not they're going to get a gun they're going to shoot up whoever they want and and to blame the republicans or the democrats or whoever is just the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard of.
0: Well, well it is, Renee. I mean again I, I would be curious if Chelsea Handler would explain, okay, exactly why is it that you think the Republicans are responsible for this? I mean, all right, what what point is there be what part of gun control legislation do you think should have passed that would have stopped this dangerously mentally ill person from doing this? Tell me how that would react, instead of just this sort of knee jerk reaction. And you know she's getting a lot of blowback. And you know what she did deserves it because it is appalling and disgraceful and vile and offensive that you have some of these Hollywood wannabe lefties who decide that all right in the immediate aftermath of the tragedy like i say all the crime scene tape isn't even up yet they decide they want to politicize it it's 1228 <laughs> It's 1236, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Once again, in about a half hour, we're going to be talking about the story about this woman in northern Virginia who has now become a cause celeb for the the left she was bicycling president's motorcade passed her he was coming from his golf course going wherever she's caught making an obscene gesture at the president's motorcade photo goes viral she realizes it's her it's her hey and so she decides here's what i'm going to do i'm going to post this on my facebook page she's going to make it her profile picture you know um i think i think uh, my, my wife her profile picture is like you know all of us together at our wedding or something like that. I think that's what it might be or I know for a while it was like the two of us in Las Vegas or so ah, I'm going to put I'm so proud this is me on my bicycle flipping off the president's motorcade well her employers took a dim view of that they fired her and now again this is whole discussion it's become the latest cause celeb if you want to see the photograph that started this all um, you can text us the word finger F-I-N-G-E-R to 414 20, that's the accurate Mortgage Talk and text line. We're going to be discussing that story in about a half hour. Um, I, it's one of these stories where the old saying is, of course, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and being surprised the results aren't different. I, I have now gotten to the point, and it took me a while to get here, where I just, if there is a poll that is out there, um, especially for electoral results, I just flat don't believe it. And it doesn't matter whether it's the Marquette University Law School, who up until the last election was kind of a gold standard for local polls or or, or you name it. The pollsters have been getting it wrong year after year after year after year. And it kind of culminated in the 2016 elections where they really were the gang that couldn't shoot straight. I mean, seriously. And so now I see these polls. Do I believe that the president's probably underwater with approval ratings? Yeah, I do. But the bottom line of all this is if you're trying to look at a poll and say, try to analyze who's ahead or who's behind, you flat can't do it because the pollsters just don't get it right anymore. And one of the frustrating things is they apparently don't care about that. There's an interesting story over the weekend in the New York Times, of all places. And the headline is, after a tough 2016, many pollsters haven't changed anything. Um, a year after polls broadly overestimated Hillary Clinton's strength in Michigan, Wisconsin, and other Rust Belt battleground states, top pollsters and analysts across the survey industry have reached a broad near consensus on many of the causes of the error. But so far, public pollsters, typically run by news outlets and colleges, have not changed their approach. So after, I mean, and it's not just 2016. The pollsters have been getting it wrong for years, and it's been getting worse and, you know, so they've been analyzing this. And I've, I've always made this point. This comes from my perspective, having run from state for statewide office a number of years ago. In For private polling, the stuff that you're, you're not, you know, just doing to kind of feed to the public, you'd say, oh, this is the results of the Market University Law School poll, or this is the Washington Post poll. Private polling for candidates. You want to get it right. Okay, you, you need to, if, if you're a candidate, and you're making these decisions about where I put resources and how do I spend the money and where do I spend my time. You you, you don't want the puff thing. You, you you care about knowing where you really stand. On the other hand, the public polls, Marquette University Law School, Washington Post, whatever, they don't care uh, about They'd like to be right, but they don't care if they're right or not because it doesn't matter. They come out with the poll, and then if it ends up being wrong, okay, so we, we were wrong. B- big deal. There's not a consequence to that. It's not like, gee, you lose your funding or, or whatever. There's not a consequence of being wrong. What you want is the headline. The public polls, here, this is what we say, and if it ends up being wrong and people mock you, well, it doesn't matter because they'll forget by the time the next poll comes out. Private polling, you've got to be right. Because, again, that's where you're you're putting your dollars. And so that's why private polling for candidates has always, always, always been better than public polling. Because of the way you approach the thing, the questions you ask, the way you focus in. Because you really got to know who the likely voters are. Um, Pollsters, the public pollsters, well, if they're right, they're right. If not, I say people forget. One of the things that they have decided and one of the big problems... That they found with 2016 is that the pollsters, both public and private, overweighted education. The, the idea being if you had somebody who was college educated as opposed to somebody who had a high school education, they, they determined that you were much more likely to vote. Because that's one of the keys. You, know, you always get the questions likely to vote versus, like, registered voters. And the likely-to-vote number is the people you care about. Because if you're a candidate, all right, you know, if somebody's if somebody's not going to vote, well, okay, they have their opinion, but it doesn't matter. You care about the people that are likely to vote. And one of the things pollsters do in deciding who's likely to vote is they, they, they look at a variety of factors. The best factor is have they voted in the past. That's the best factor. But it's tough. Because the way polling works is you pay the pollsters, the people that are taking the polls, they have to pay for every question they ask. They they, they charge it. So Marquette University Law School poll gets charged for every question the person asks. Washington Post poll gets charged for every question asked. So the way you find out if somebody's likely to vote is I call up I call up my producer Gru and I say, Okay, are you likely to vote in the two thousand eighteen governor election? And Gru says, Yes, I am. Then you say, okay, but everybody says they're likely to vote. So you try to figure out who really is likely to vote, and the best indicator is that they voted in the past. So you say, who did you vote for for president in 2016? And if he says Trump or if he says Clinton, fine. And then you ask, okay, well, who did you vote for in the Senate race in 2016? And if you have somebody that you've asked four or five questions, and they voted in every one of these elections in the last eight years, well, you know that they're probably more likely to vote than somebody who you know, has never voted at all in their life, who then says, but I'm going to vote this time. Now, they might actually vote, but the chances are they're less likely to vote. Well, the pollsters, particularly the public pollsters, don't like to do that because they've got to spend money to ask those questions. So what they do is they create this model that is based, like I was saying before, on education. How far did you go in school? And then instead of doing the hard work asking the multiple questions they just ask how far did you go in school and if you say hey i've got a law school degree they figure that i am more likely to vote because i've got a jurist doctorate than somebody who's got a high school education well all right that model is wrong <laughs> that that's that's one of the reasons they just didn't get it. Over the years, education has become less and less of a reliable indicator. And so, the fact that somebody said that they were had a college degree, for example, they were perhaps more likely to vote for Hillary Clinton, but the pollsters completely and totally missed the fact they had a lot of people with high school educations who said that they were going to vote, who guess what? They did actually go out and vote. Okay, so that's all well and good. We know that They bought the models they set up badly overweighted education in other words assuming people that didn't graduate from college or only had a high school degree or whatever were substantially less likely to vote than the people who had the doctorates and things like that and they missed it and that's why they missed the election that's why they got Wisconsin wrong it's why they got Michigan wrong it's why they missed a lot of the stuff that was going on in this country and it's one of the factors that i think they've been missing for a while the fact that this education is very much overweighted so Crew, who once again is producing the program, if you were a responsible pollster, whether you're working for a public company, whether you're just trying to produce that poll that gets the headlines, like the Marquette University Law School poll or Washington Post or whatever, or somebody that's working for a private candidate where you really got to be right, and everybody agrees that one of the problems that you've had over the last several years has been overweighting education, what would you do? No, don't even answer that. I'll tell you what I w- you would do. You would say, we've got to change the model. All right, we've been wrong. We have assumed that people with college degrees and, you know, uh, master's degrees and whatever, we assumed that they were going to vote in much greater proportions than the people that didn't have those degrees, right? We've been proven wrong. You would think that you would, wait for it, change the model. Story in the New York Times, the public poll places, they're not changing the models. They still, they're still they are doing the same thing so far. this is what they report. Public pollsters, typically run by news outlets and colleges, have not changed their approach. Um, you know, few, if any, of the public polls that conducted surveys ahead of Tuesday's election, tomorrow's elections for governor in Virginia, New Jersey, appear to have adopted significant methodological changes intended to better represent the rural, less educated white voters who pollsters believe were underrepresented in pre-election surveys. So, in other words, the, these polls that are coming out now suffer from the same flaws that the polls that have been coming out and getting it wrong over the last two, four, six, eight years, and the pollsters just continue to refuse to change. Hmm. So when we view some of these polls as skeptical, it's not necessarily that I think polling is, is, is inaccurate or inadequate. It's that the models that have been set up suck. And they don't adjust for where voters are now. And what's particularly aggravating is they're not changing. So when you see one of these polls, I think the truth of the matter is you just kind of have to just shake your head because, again, they are not changing at all. Okay, big story number two is coming up in less than two and a half minutes. Scott Walker runs for a third term. Does he deserve the election? Stick around. It's It's (laughs) 1246. 1250 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ I remember when we had an opportunity to talk to um, Scott and Tanette Walker governor and Mrs. Walker at uh, Insight earlier this year I mean he made no secret about the fact that he was going to be running for re-election wanted to get the budget done and then I think last time I had a chance to talk to him he said well my birthday is November 2nd and November 6th which would be um what's that tomorrow That's the one year. The election is one year away, and so that was the timetable. He said, and he said, I'll I'll be announcing sometime between my birthday and the one year anniversary. And he announced yesterday that he's formally running for re-election. Talking about a lot of the the goals of what he wants to do. He wants to raise wages. He wants to cut taxes. He wants to put money back into education. You know, it's an aggressive agenda as he launches you know his race for the the third third term. It, It is not anywhere near as controversial an agenda say as when he was facing the recall election in the aftermath of, of Act 10. And honestly, the state is in a much better fiscal position now than it was, well, certainly when it was when Scott Walker took over, and arguably than it was before Act 10. Now, that's not to say that there aren't challenges that are out there, and we're still wrestling with how to pay for transportation funding, but in general, I think most people would agree that if you look at right track, wrong track, state's on on pretty much of a right track. Now, there were protesters outside um, his announcement yesterday in Waukesha. I was watching the news coverage. It was a lot of people carrying mexican flags and it appeared to be like the the illegal alien group you know the uh voces de la frontera that was organizing these efforts to say okay we 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 oppose legislation that would um crack down on illegal aliens which i I don't actually think is a winner issue as you move across the state that's just me but anyways governor walker wants a third term 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk and text line has he done enough to deserve a third term? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And while Gru is lining up the calls, let me just tell you this quickly. I mean, I, I think the, the answer clearly is yes. I think what we've seen is that the initiatives and the things that Governor Walker has put into place are, are working And I understand that there's some people who have, you know, an issue about this or an issue about that. But if you're looking about whether or not somebody deserves to be reelected on the merits, it's it's really, I think, going to be tough for any of the, you know, 11 or 12 or 13 Democrats, most of whom I think are running this year for governor, realizing that they're not going to win but running to try to position themselves as being the leader of the Democratic Party moving for the next four years. So maybe four years from now, if Governor Walker doesn't run again, maybe they'll position to be making another run because I don't see too many people with an opportunity to beat him now. But let's tee this up. And matter of fact, we're going to be joined by Governor Walker on this program. One thirty five tomorrow afternoon. But, you know, has he done enough to be reelected? And my argument would be, by any objective, reasonable standard, the answer is, you bet. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1254. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1256. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Bill in Sheboygan. Bill, good afternoon. Hey, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. Thanks for calling. What do you think? Scott Walker deserve another four years?
1: Yes, he does, and and I think you have to look back to when he first got elected, and and you look at the recall election and how he how he survived the recall election. I think, you know, at least how I look at it, you know, the the people that live in our people that live in our state wanted to give Governor Walker an opportunity to govern, and I think he's proven that when given the opportunity to to show this is what what I'm going to govern by, these are the things I'm going to focus on, and the fact that he's accomplished these particular goals. I, in my eyes, I think he's earned a third term, and you know, I think he's he's stabilized the state, the budget, since like you said, the budget is sound, and uh, I think he's earned it. He's done a great job.
0: Yeah, no, Bill, thanks. I, 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 I mean, I agree with you completely, and th- this is such a different dynamic. Um, you, you had, you, you had, I mean, of course, what during the. You had the recall controversy, and look, I'll be honest, after his second election, I I think Governor Walker, and I've told him this both, I've said it publicly and I've told him this privately, I mean, I I thought the flirtation with national office hurt. I thought a couple years ago with the budget cycle, instead of selling his budget initiatives, you know, he was out of the state running a presidential campaign, well, all right, I, I was confident That because the groundwork had been laid and you had a good structure for the state moving forward, I was confident he was going to be able to come back from that. And I think he certainly has. I'm listening to some of these Democratic leaders say, oh, he's extremely unpopular. Well, okay, maybe you know if you get out of some of the diminishing union halls and you get out of you know some of the bars in madison where okay maybe you know the hardcore bastions of liberalism all right maybe there's not a lot of walker support but beyond that i think he is incredibly popular throughout the state i think this foxconn thing and i understand he didn't talk about foxconn yesterday but he's going to be talking about that as time goes on i think you know you look at everything together and can you nitpick different things during the campaign or during over the last you know eight plus years yes you can But the truth of the matter is, I think he stands as one of the most successful governors in Wisconsin history and maybe the most one of the most successful, if not the most successful governor currently in office. It's going to be tough to beat him. And let me tell you, there's nobody on the Democratic horizon, either has-beens or wannabes or backbenchers. There's nobody that's, uh, at least right now, I think, going to rise up and give him a significant challenge. We'll be talking to the governor at 1.30 tomorrow afternoon. It's 12.59. Coming up, our third big thing. And then if you want to see the photo that's creating all the controversy, text the word FINGER to 414-799-1620. It's 12.59. It's one hundred and nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. All right. Big story number three: Hillary's coming to town on Thursday night. Good seats still available. Twenty. Let's see, eighty-five and ninety-five dollars. I think God's way of telling you you have too damn much money is if you can drop ninety-five bucks to watch Hillary Clinton. In an effort to sell tickets, they're they're bringing in Bradley Whitford. He's the He's from. He's, I know he's a UW Madison graduate. He was the guy that played one of the characters on The West Wing. He's a big time Democratic activist. So I, I think in an effort to try to sell tickets, they're they're bringing you know him in, and he's going to be moderating the thing. They're going to be at the uh, uh, Pabst Theater box office. They'll be at the Paps Theater as they try to sell those tickets. Oh, Riverside, it's Riverside Theater Thursday. Um, so Hillary is, of course, in, in the news because for everybody out there who is unhappy with the fact that, that Donald Trump is the president, there is this, what would be Al Gore's phrase? Oh, yes, there is this uncomfortable truth, truth which is emerging, which is the leadership of the Democratic Party, if you are a Democrat, screwed you over and, and gave, you, gave you Hillary Clinton. They rigged the system to essentially make sure that it was going to be Hillary. And as I think, as we look back on these postmortems to the election and all these things, the simple reality is for everybody who wonders how did Donald Trump become president? It is because Donald Trump ended up running against somebody that was even more objectionable than he was i mean hillary clinton that that's just a simple thing hillary clinton people are just not that into you and and i don't know that this was the 2016 election was this great endorsement of of donald trump necessarily it was just that hey people did not like hillary clinton and that was certainly my experience um, from a number of my friends who are big-time Democrats. Now, I'm not saying they voted for Trump, but I, I think even among big-time Democrats, most of the people I knew were not enthusiastic. It was, oh, we, we're going to vote for Hillary Clinton because we, we always vote for Democrats, but we're not excited about her. I think a lot of people felt that um, she certainly did not have the charm or charisma of her husband. I think there's a lot of people, myself included, who believe that you know she's... She is one of those people who is willing to say or do anything she needs to do to get elected. She was just a horrible candidate, and now um, it it is emerging, and I'd be curious to see if you know, she's asked about any of these questions when she makes this sort of book tour appearance that, once again, she's charging nearly $100 uh, a ticket to see at the Riverside Theater. Um, new story out, of course, over the last few days by Donna Brazil, who was the interim chairman of the Democratic National Committee. It, it's now coming out, what a lot of people thought, that essentially this election was, in fact, rigged, at least the nominating process, where you had the Democratic National Committee, which essentially had cut this deal, allowing Hillary Clinton to decide how When she wasn't even a candidate, allowing her to decide how money was going to be spent and who was going to be on this and who was going to be on that. I mean, the truth of the matter is uh, Bernie Sanders never had a chance, not because he might not have been in a situation where he was the best candidate to win. It's just that the whole process was rigged from the start to guarantee that Hillary Clinton was going to be the candidate. So for the Democrats who wonder why they are in complete and total disarray, it's because, again, the party leaders conspired, I think, against the voters and ended up in a situation where you know they chose Hillary and they ended up choosing very, very badly. You know, this book by Donna Brazil Um, You know, talks about how badly the campaign was mismanaged, how she made blunders with staff, how the campaign was so lacking in passion for the candidate that uh, their New York headquarters felt like a hospital ward where somebody... Had died. Donna Brazil says Clinton's top aides routinely disrespected her and decided that they were going to try to starve out the Democratic National Committee, saying, You know, we don't really need anything. You know, we know what's going on, we know what's best. Well, okay, that's then now why Donald Trump is the president and why Hillary Clinton is trying to sell tickets to get people to come out and buy her book and listen to her speak on Thursday night at the Riverside Theater in Milwaukee. Big story number three, for people who are upset that Donald Trump is the president, especially if you voted for Hillary Clinton, what you need to be doing is you need to be looking at a mirror And or at least focusing that mirror on the Democratic Party in general that I think conspired together with the Clinton campaign to make sure that Hillary Clinton was the anointed one, regardless of whether or not she was the candidate that was best positioned to win. And as we now know, she wasn't. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the woman who lost her job because of a one fingered salute. Stick around. It's 115. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, 118, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, here's the deal. The woman's name is Julie Briskman. She's 50 years old. She lives in kind of northern Virginia, outside the D.C. area. I. I she used to work for the State Department, but it looks like there's kind of a gap in her resume. It looks like she's been out of work for, for several years. Last spring, she gets a job at this government contractor called Akema. Um, they're they, they're, they do IT stuff but but they're a government contractor so a week ago Saturday the 28th of October Saturday she's out out bicycling and she's in the area where um, one of the the trump golf courses is so she's out riding her bike and the trump motorcade you know passes her and she decides I'm going to do what anybody would do I'm going to make an obscene gesture so she's riding along she throws the one-fingered salute at the, the Trump motorcade. Somebody takes a picture of this. Now, at this point in time, nobody really knows who she is. I mean, all you see is her backside on the bus, on, on the bike, you know, making the obscene gesture. Nobody knows who she is. But this photo gets a lot of play. Here is somebody making the obscene gesture. Well, all right, not content to be anonymous. She goes home, she sees this picture, and she says, hey, that's me on the bike. So what she does is she takes this photo and... And she puts it up on her, she tweets it out, and she puts it up on her Facebook page as her profile picture. Hey, world, this is me flipping off the president. All right. Well, at that point in time, um, you know, then she sort of publicly identifies herself. So when she goes into work the following Monday, now this happened on a Saturday. She was on her own time. She says, uh-oh, um, now I'm being identified. now, And, of course, the reason she's being identified and linked to this is because of what she did. So now, you know, the world knows who she is. So she goes in to the human resources people, and I think the reason she goes in there is she knows that she kind of screwed up, and she tells them, hey, this is me. And then they say, um, okay, sorry, um, we're, we're going to let you go. They say, um, we're separating from you. Uh, basically, you can have lewd or obscene things in your social media. Um, they were calling flipping him off to be obscene. Now, keep in mind, I think she's also a probationary employee. But regardless, you know, in Virginia, you can fire people for any reason or, or no reason. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a protected sort of thing. So even though she's now talking to the ACLU about maybe bringing a job action to get her job back, I think that's probably... You know, got no chance at all. I mean, the the company can fire her for for whatever, but they clearly fired her for, you know, making this obscene gesture. Now, as it turns out, the president of the company is apparently a big time Republican who contributed money to the um, Trump campaign. If that's relevant, I, I don't know. But this business is also a government contractor. And here you have one of their employees who just thinks that this was a cute thing. alright seven nine nine one six twenty. Again, if you want to see the photograph that started all this, you can uh, text the word, just text us the word finger and we'll send it back to you. But I want to tee this issue up. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Is this woman being treated unfairly? Her argument is, I don't like Donald Trump. All right. I, he, he's, I, I didn't support him. I don't like him. He shouldn't be playing golf so much. And I'm out on a bike ride on a Saturday afternoon, and I see this blankety-blank motorcade pass me, and I am exercising my First Amendment rights as a citizen to express myself, and this is how I chose to do it, by making the obscene gesture. All right? She says, and I, I, I told the company I was doing it. Um, they have decided to fire me. She says, you know, there's, there's other people who also went on social media and were uh, had Facebook postings and things like that in the past where, you know, they used bad words, and they ended up getting disciplined but not fired. 414-799-1620. Does this woman have a legitimate beef? She has become sort of a cause celeb in the liberal community. Oh, isn't this terrible? The company fired her. 414-799-1620. Should she have been able... Should she have had consequences for making the obscene gesture? And, again, the, the issue here isn't does she have a right to make an obscene gesture at the president's motorcade. The answer to that, I think, is clearly yes. Nobody's talking about the, the government coming in and charging her or arresting her for doing things like this. The issue is, all right, were her employers wrong to say, you know what, um, this is not the image that we want of our employees because of what you did, you have identified yourself as being with this company. I mean, you know, at least certainly in an indirect fashion. And, you know, we've decided to move on. 414 Are you sympathetic to this woman? My answer, heck no. But we'll discuss. four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I think that the employer was completely and totally within its right to do what it chose to do. Didn't have to do it. But this, this woman, if she didn't want the consequences, maybe she should have thought twice, number one, before making the obscene gesture at the president, but number two, before then deciding, hey, I'm not just going to be the anonymous person riding on the bicycle. I'm going to make this my Facebook profile. Four one four I'm sorry, I'm not sympathetic to her. We discuss next. It's 123. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620, WTMJ. Okay, consequences for stuff like this are, are not unusual. Let me maybe you will remember, gosh, it's time flies. It's going on like eight years now. There was a woman named Caitlin Davis. At the time she was 19 years old, and she was a member of the New England Patriots cheerleading group. Okay, she was a cheerleader, right? Paid it was a job. Now, the owner of the, of the New England Patriots is a guy named Robert Kraft, and he and his late wife, Myra, um, they are Jewish, huge, huge in the Anti-Defamation League. I mean, that's, that, is, that is one of their causes, all right? And very, 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 very active in, in fighting you know, discrimination against uh, you know people who are Jewish and things like that. So this Caitlin Davis goes to this Halloween party. She's on her own time, and what she does... Is she's drinking? She's there with a friend of hers. Apparently, some guy passes out, and then people at the party start drawing things. They have magic markers, like selfies, and they start drawing. Uh, they they draw penises on him. I the uh, the phrase I'm a Jew and a pair of swastikas there on the face, neck, etc. He's passed out. They take a she takes a picture of herself, posing with a pen. Now later she says. I didn't draw these myself, but okay. So, so here you have the owner of the New England Patriots who is very active in the anti-defamation you know, league. This woman takes these photographs, puts them on Facebook. She's on her own time. Well, the New England Patriots, Patriots fire her. They just say, sorry, you, know, you have crossed the, the line. All right. Now I, I understand that you know, for some people, making an obscene gesture at the motorcade of the president is is different than than this. But the the point is, don't employers if employees do things even on their own time. And then, like I say, in this case that we're talking about with the woman on the bicycle, nobody would have known who she was, except she was proud of the fact that she's now been captured making the obscene gesture at the president. So she comes out and she self-identifies herself. I mean, shouldn't employers... If, if an employer says, look, all right, now this has been controversial. We're a government contractor, and some people are going to love this person for doing this. Other people are going to hate this person for doing this. But now everybody's going to know she's one of our employees. Don't they have a right to say, look, we just don't want to deal with this. Sorry. Good luck. Go work somewhere else. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Matt in Sheboygan. Matt, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, Jeff.
1: I think it's a, it's a pretty cut and dry case. I think you've been trying to make that there's a difference between an individual getting in trouble as a citizen and an individual versus an employee. I mean, you can take the legalization of marijuana. It gives people the right to smoke marijuana in the states where it's legal. They can still get fired from their employer for not passing a drug test. Right. There's a different rights that you have as an employee versus a citizen. This person isn't being charged with a crime. They're right. fired from their job for doing something that was not acceptable.
0: Right. And, and our employer, I think, is looking at this from the perspective of all right, she has now created this controversy involving us, and you know we, we don't want to be controversial in this particular r- regard. I mean, maybe this is going to affect our business, maybe it's not, but we don't want to be linked to somebody who is doing this. And so does she have a right to do it? Yes, but aren't there consequences occasionally for some of the things you end up doing?
1: And the company has a right not only to, to her, but to her other coworkers. I mean, that could affect their positions and their job as well.
0: Um, Right. Again, thanks for the call. I mean, to me, it's what what people need to understand is as a general rule in this country is that you can be fired. You can lose your job for any reason or or no reason. Um, Now, there are exceptions. You know, people have union protections or people have contracts or things like that. But but as a general rule, um, for example, your boss can call you in tomorrow and say, I'm, I'm sorry, Frank you know it's just not working out we're gonna let you go and unless you're being fired for an illegal reason we're firing you because of your race or your religion or your gender or something like that uh, unless you're a member of a protected class um, you know you, you really don't have any sort of recourse and you know, she's not being fired because she's a 50-year-old woman. She's being fired because she made an obscene gesture at the motorcade of the President of the United States. So I that, I think, makes it pretty clear that they have the right to do it. And, and you know what? I, I think, you know, let's reverse this situation. I mean, let's reverse this situation. Let's say it's the same sort of scenario, except it's the Barack Obama motorcade. You know, and she's making the obscene gesture at it. Um, I, I don't know that there would be any sort of liberal outrage about that at all. As a matter of fact, I think most people would be saying, oh, man, she made an obscene gesture at Barack Obama's motorcade. How disrespectful. That's going to reflect poorly on her employer. Boom, let her go. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Ben in Juno. Ben, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good
2: afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Um, I'm going to take it one step further. I think it's completely irrelevant. Who she works for, I could think it's completely irrelevant. Who she's slipping off? The act in itself is childish. That's not something an adult does. That's something a middle
0: schooler does. Yeah.
2: If she wants to be treated like an adult, don't do that and make it public for the world to see.
0: Right, and, it's, it's, and I think what compounded it then, Ben, is it, it's not just this... It's not anonymous because it is the president of the United States. It, I mean, th- this is now—you know—hundreds of thousands of people are now looking at it, and then because she takes that next step of of, of essentially identifying herself as being the the flipper in this case, it, it just gets more and more attention. So, it, it, I understand what I you're think, saying. Yeah.
2: I think any business could say this is a loot act that we don't want anything to do with one of our employees to do, no matter who it is. It's it, it's not something that's uh, right very that's just it's not a professional adult thing
0: to do right and, and their policy and i think their position is we have this policy that says you know you're not to use social media for obscene purposes now she says you mean to tell me you think that this gesture was obscene to which i think most people would say yeah it, it that's it, yeah. it is what when you use the phrase obscene gesture this is what most people think of in that case yeah, yeah. i would agree with you yeah No. right that, i mean and, and again if if I don't know if this hadn't been the motorcade of the president and this, because it was the motorcade of the president, hadn't gotten all the different looks. You know, would they have done the same thing if she had just put this up as her Facebook profile and it had just been her doing it to some other car? I don't know if they would have fired her or not. But because it was who it was, it got a lot more attention. So the bottom line is she has a right to do this. And I'm not arguing about that. But, I mean, here's the lesson. And it's something that I think everybody, that people haven't learned it, they need to continue to learn it. Whether you're the 19-year-old cheerleader who decides, you know, you want to put this, po- this photo up on social media uh, of you drawing penises on some passed out guy's, um, you know, body um, uh, at the same time where he's got all sorts of, you know, anti-Semitic slurs written on him or whatever. Okay, you know, if you think that's going to be a good idea and it's not going to have consequences, well, you, you have a right to do it but then there's going to be consequences. And, look, I, I don't think you need to have a tag sale for this lady. She'd only been working at this company for about six months. My guess is that, a um, matter of fact, I think the interview I was reading with her, she said, maybe I think I'm going to go find work for a cause I believe in, like Planned Parenthood or something like that. And my guess is they'll be delighted to have her. It's 144. This is Jeff Wagner. Coming up next, as long as we're talking about uh, consequences for behavior, Vin Scully, legendary just retired we retired last year broadcaster for the la dodgers he wades into the whole nfl protest thing and he's getting a lot of heat we'll discuss it next stick around it's 148 jeff wagner 620 WTMJ. um i know saturday night live has had sort of a, a renaissance in certain circles because of, of Donald Trump. And so, you know, what happens is you've got Alec Baldwin, who comes out and does his Donald Trump impersonations. And this is especially among the chattering class. Oh, did you see what Saturday Night Live did? I, I actually think Saturday Night Live jumped the shark a, a long time ago. And, um, and so, honestly, I, I don't watch. Although th- this one, you do wonder if there's anybody there that has any sense of, of of bad taste or not? Larry David. Um, if you, now you, you know who Larry David is. Probably for a certain generation, most famous for Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is the show he does that airs on on um, HBO. But he he, together with Jerry Seinfeld, was one of the co creators of. Of the Seinfeld TV show and actually that the George Costanza character that's kind of Larry David you know and so that's that that's Larry David and he's he's a stand-up comedian and um, part of his part of his shtick is to um, he's Jewish and he and he uses ethnicity and his ethnicity as you know one of the things he does he he tells you know jokes about being Jewish and things like that and maybe that gives him a little bit more freedom but he he was doing the the monologue on Saturday night live and it ran about 5 minutes and I'm not going to play the whole thing because in all honesty it's not funny at, at all i mean it's just it's one of the, in my opinion it's one of these sort of painful things where he's just bombing big time but but then about 5 minutes into about 5 minutes into the the monologue this is the joke he tells and I say joke in quotation marks that has created all this controversy. Here, here's what he says.
1: You know, I've always always been obsessed with women and I've often wondered if I'd if I'd grown up in Poland when Hitler came to power and was sent to a concentration camp would I still be checking out women in the camp? <laughs> I think I yeah. Hey, Shlomo, Shlomo, look at that one over there by Barrett. Say, Oh, my God, is she gorgeous? Oh, oh, I've had my eye on her for weeks. I, I, I've been, I, I'd like to go up and say something to her. Of course, the problem is there are no good opening lines in a concentration camp. How's it going? <laughs> they treating you okay? <laughs> you know, if we ever get out of here, I'd love to
0: take you out for some <laughs> wow. <You> like Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, wow. okay, so as soon as he he's doing jokes about picking up women in a concentration camp, um, the Anti-Defamation League... Um, this about five minutes after this, they come out with a statement um, talking about how. Let's see, the uh, the, the CEO of the um, you know Anti Defamation League says, "Well, you know, Larry David managed to be offensive, insensitive, and unfunny all at the same time." And then, of course, uh, the, the social media just explodes with. Yeah, generally, some some scathing criticism. I guess I here's. I, I look at this, and, and first of all, it wasn't funny. But at the same time, I, I'm. I, I understand that we don't have any filters and we don't have any sensors and things like that nowadays. But I, I'm stunned that there wasn't somebody at Saturday Night Live who who saw this during the pre taping or whatever and said, "He's making." He's making jokes about concentration camps in, in 2017 and picking up women in concentration camps. Maybe even for an edgy show like this, um, that crosses the line into into bad taste. And on top of it, it's not funny. I mean, it's not funny to begin with, but let, let's forget the not funny thing. It's just the, I, I, I don't know, Hogan's Heroes would never make it on the air today. All right. But Larry David, you know, telling concentration camp jokes, he's really getting ripped for doing this. And, and, I mean, the commentary has just been absolutely brutal. And, again, it's not funny, and it's also just incredibly bad taste. But I think that reflects as much on Saturday Night Live as it does on Larry David. Because somebody would have had the chance to say, you know, maybe – you know, even in 2017, and, and we understand, we appreciate that you, in fact, are Jewish and that's part of your stick. Maybe Holocaust jokes are really, really, really in bad taste, and, and maybe we shouldn't air them. But again, I don't know. There's obviously nobody there that's um, reining in people and saying, okay, maybe you need to rethink this. It's 153. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 156, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Grew when you are doing. You know, running radio stations years from now, and you think back to when you used to prove for this guy in Milwaukee. Just, just always remember if you're dealing with like radio programming or TV or whatever and talent. Holocaust jokes are never funny. <laughs> it just, it just, just put that down. If somebody comes in and says, "Hey, boss, I, I want to do want to do a, a bit," you know, making fun of the Holocaust. Just, just don't. It's just never funny. Now, Larry, Larry David, um, and Saturday Night Live apparently don't get that. But I, that would just be some of my advice. Okay, here, here is the story. Vin Scully. I don't know if any, if everybody knows who Vin Scully is. The, the legendary broadcaster, baseball broadcaster for the L.A. Dodgers. He retired before last season. He goes back to when they were the Brooklyn Dodgers. I mean, if you talk to anybody. Who is a sports announcer? You know, Vin Scully will be the person they look up to. Okay, over the weekend, Vin Scully um, is doing an, an interview in Pasadena. It's called an Evening with Vin Scully. It's also a, it's actually a presentation, and, and somebody asks him apparently about his reaction to the NFL players. Now he covered baseball, but he's asked about his reaction to the NFL player demonstrations, and he this is what he says: He says, "I have only one personal thought, really." I am so disappointed. I used to love, during the fall and winter, to watch the NFL on Sunday. And it's not that I'm some great patriot. I was in the Navy for a year, didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything. But I have overwhelming respect and admiration for anyone who puts on a uniform and goes to war. So the only thing I will do in my own little way is not to preach. I will never watch another NFL game. So that's Vin Scully saying, I will never watch another NFL game. I'm not going to preach. This is just how I'm going to respond. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is a huge story today. A lot of people are talking about, here you have this announcer. Now, maybe Vin Scully, he's 89 years old. Maybe this is just a generational type of thing. But he says, I will never watch another NFL game because of these protests what do you think about his position and I guess my question is are there other people who are feeling exactly the same way What do you think? I'll give you my take as well, coming up in just a couple minutes. But right after the news, we're going to start off with this. Vin Scully says he's never watching another NFL game. Is this just a cranky old man? Who cares about it? Or is he reflecting the views of a lot of mainstream Americans? We discuss next. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 208. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, Vin Scully. Uh, if you will and, and, and I don't care whether you talk to Bob Eucher or Wayne Larravee or anybody who is in the field of sports casting, Vin Scully, who retired after he's been retired for a year. He was the legendary broadcaster for the the LA Dodgers and he's somebody who is um, I think you know universally looked up to. Perhaps, matter of fact, I have an email from John who says he might be the most respected man in the history of sports broadcasting. I mean, that, that's that, that's that is Vin Scully. So Vin Scully, he's eighty-nine years old. He's doing an event over the weekend, an evening with Vin Scully. He's from Southern California, so he's you know in Pasadena, and somebody asks him apparently about how he feels about the NFL protests. Here's what he says. He says. Um, I have one personal thought, really, and I'm I'm so disappointed. I used to love, during the fall and winter, to watch the NFL on Sunday. And it's not that I'm some great patriot. I was in the Navy for a year, didn't go anywhere, didn't do anything. But I have an overwhelming respect and admiration for anyone who puts on a uniform and goes to war. So the only thing I can do in my little way is, is not to preach. I will never watch another NFL game. 414-799-1620, that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right, um, is this just Vin Scully being, I don't know, this cranky old guy, or is this something that's, you know, is he touching a nerve? Is he expressing things that a lot of people feel? And you know what? I think the answer is the latter. I I just, I, I really do. I just think that there's a lot of reasons why the NFL is struggling. I think there's a lot of reasons why the sponsor sh- sponsors are struggling a bit. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of people out there who've said, we, we've had enough. Um, Randy sends me a text. I'm the same way. I canceled every channel that has the NFL on it. I will never watch them again. Um, hmm. uh, let's see. Kudos to him. Okay, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Is this an unreasonable position? Um, and, again, this ties into – this is a segue from what we were talking about in the last hour. Um, I mean, arguably, you know, players have the right to protest. But at the same time, the NFL doesn't necessarily allow have to allow them to hijack the opening of their games to do it. I think there's a lot of people out there like Mr. Scully who have just decided, you know, enough is enough. Uh, you know, uh, we, we're not going to put up with this. Mike in Northwest Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon.
2: Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. I think? agree with Vince Scully. I'm not 89. I hope to get there. But uh, what I'm going to say was uh, I watch sports to watch sports. So when I think political, I get uh, 100 different options to watch anything political. And I believe he's correct in uh, this. People are just getting annoyed with this. I am annoyed with it. Papa John's Pizza, I think the guy lost like 3 million pizzas over this. Um, yep. I, I, just, uh, I, I just, you know... I'll watch the Packers. I do watch the Packers because I've got an ulterior motive. I'm in some pools for the Packer games, and that's the only thing I watch. But that's that, about it.
0: Well, I think that that's the effect. And, and of course, now, now the owners, like, like last night, okay, one of the the, the owners, of the Miami Dolphins. Miami was on Sunday Night Football last night, and you remember the owners had a team policy saying, "All right, we, we don't want people kneeling on the sidelines. If you're not going to stand during the anthem." stay in the tunnel, all right? That was what their policy was. Well, yesterday you have a series of players, three of them, who come out and they kneel during the national anthem. Apparently the head coach is saying, well, never mind, you know, we're, we're not going to do anything to them. So, I mean, th- these protests, you know, continue. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. I think the NFL really needs to wake up because I, I think things, that if, if guys like Vin Scully are saying this, that that tells you where a lot of mainstream America is. Let's talk to Brad in Rockford. Brad, you're on six hundred and twenty WTMJ.
1: How are you doing today?
0: What do you think? I'm good, thank you.
1: I I believe that he is the uh, um, he's the voice of most. Mm-hmm. As I told the other other gentlemen, mm-hmm. I eight out of ten people that I've talked to about this, they feel the same way. Maybe it's just the people I hang around with. But individually, I have not watched an NFL game this year. I have seen them. I have checked on the scores. But I absolutely won't watch the openings. I don't want to see that junk. I right. really don't want to ask for the coaches and the owners with the people that knelt yesterday or whenever it was. Right. But, you know, in most places of business, you get a verbal, you get a written, and then you get gone. Yeah. And that's what needs to happen.
0: Well, I get it. Yeah. Right. Now, thanks. For, see, I think what you're saying is certainly reflective of a percentage of. Of, of people that, that are out there. And I don't know if it's 2% or if it's 5% or if it's 10%. I, I don't know how much that is. But I think there's a lot of people that are just turned off by this. And the NFL, really, they, they never got a grip on it. They should have seen this coming. They should have, um, you know, passed a rule last summer stopping this. And, again, I'm not saying that players can't protest. But, again, they're hijacking the games. And the reality is, and it's, it's fine for – if if you read the sporting press – I will tell you it is almost 100% how dare anybody do anything to reflect the players' rights of free expression. Well, okay, that might be the liberal sporting press, and that might be the sports columnists. That's not the people who buy the tickets or the people who tune in. They have a very, very different feeling. Now, again, I'm not going to argue that – I'm not saying that I'm not going to watch the Packers game tonight. I am. But the truth of the matter is – the hardcore fans of particular teams isn't what drives the ratings and and Wayne Larvie always makes this point the 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 big numbers come from just sports fans in general you know the people that you know okay it's a sunday night football game it's oakland versus miami i don't care about other either team but i'm going to tune in it is those casual fans that I think are being turned off by this, and I think there's a lot of hardcore, say, Packers fans, for example, who say we're going to watch the Packers, but you know what? Um, you know we're we're not going to watch the other stuff. 414-799-1620. Paul and O'Connor walk. Paul, you're on six twenty. WTMJ. Uh, good
1: afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Paul. As I was telling your producer, um, my brother-in-law and I are both veterans. We have different attitudes towards this. He was a season ticket holder, and I will stress was. He also gave me all of his Packer paraphernalia about a month ago because of this, uh, what he calls this respect to the flag and national anthem. I, myself, have a different attitude, is that I did fight as a veteran to give them this right. Whether it be an abused right or not, that's to be cited in the future. Uh, As you were just saying, I'm a casual sports fan also. Not just a diehard packer. Right. I watch every football game I can. I drive my wife nuts with us. <laughs> he goes, What do these teams have to do with our season? They don't. I'm a casual fan, I still watch. Mm-hmm. Um, but your, so brother's up, but your brother's giving but your brother's
0: given up his season tickets. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, right. No.
1: He was a he was he bled green and gold. He will not watch any NFL
0: football game, not just the Packers. Yeah, no no, 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 no. Thanks for the call, Paul. And see, and again, that's I, I. I'm not calling for a boycott. That that's that's not it. Because I mean, I I want to be honest. I, I mean, I still watch the football games and all. But I, does does this does it bother me? Yes. Does it bother me that the owners allowed essentially the. Okay, what's the phrase that gets you in trouble? The inmates to run the asylum? Well, that, that they, they've allowed them, the players to kind of hijack this and use the games a, as a way to stage whatever sort of protest that they are protesting. And of course, the protests are all over the map, you know. Some, it's for the Black Lives Matter movement. You got the one guy saying, I think we need more relief for Puerto Rico. All these different types of things. It's why I think it is just flat out disrespectful not to stand when the flag is being presented during the national anthem that's whatever your, your particular cause de jour that you want to be protesting you know fine but there's a time and a place for it but but that's i guess not the point i'm just going back to vin scully who i think you know if he's saying this i think it's kind of like in some respects i'm going to date myself um during the vietnam war um Walter Cronkite, who was the most this is back when we still respected journalists and all and, and Walter Cronkite was probably the most respected journalist of all. I think it was nineteen sixty eight. He goes to Vietnam. He comes back and, and you know, he was a reporter and, and he offers this commentary and he says, Hey, you know, I've I've um you know, I've just gotten back from Vietnam and I, I am convinced that our involvement there was honorable. We were trying to do the right thing, but we cannot win this war. And I remember the big thing about Lyndon Johnson was if you've lost Walter Cronkite, you know, you've, you've, you've really pretty much you know, lost the hearts and minds of people. I think it's very, very similar. If you've lost a guy like Vin Scully, that says to the NFL that, you know, you've lost at least a chunk of your potential fan base. Um, let's see. Debbie texts, I will not watch. Um, another one of our texts. Matt says, at the end of the day, these players are being paid millions of dollars to play a game. At least they could do is respect the country that gave them the right to be so fortunate. I am a casual sports fan and I haven't seen a single game this year. The last thing I want to see is politics in sport. Mitch says, you hit the nail on the head, Jeff. It is the enthusiastic fan of one team that won't turn in for tune in for other games. You know, count me in that group. Um, I love football and will watch. I am not offended at all by peaceful protests. So, I mean, right, and I again, this isn't affecting everybody. But if guys like Vin Scully are talking about this, it means it's affecting some. Just saying. 218 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's two twenty one. Jeff Wagner, six twenty. WTMJ. There's Wayne and Larry on your radio and the Packers game on your TV, but your phone now gives you a new view with our Packers second screen. Get instant reaction to every big moment and exclusive comments from Coach McCarthy on our second screen every game day in the Packers section of WTMJ.com. Our text line just kind of exploding on the uh, the whole question of Vin Scully. Let me just share a couple with you. Um, uh, let's see. Um Football. NFL football is entertainment, short and simple. People stop watching entertainment when it no longer appeals to them. For whatever reason, the NFL should wise up and understand that people are tuning out and tuning off, turning off. I salute Mr. Scully for his steadfastness and his convictions. Let's see. Not only will I not watch the NFL, I have burned all my Packers clothing and my stock in the Packers. Well, I'm not sure I'm willing to go that far. I'm still a Packers fan. Um. Let's see. Another one of uh, it's frustrating. And disrespectful, to say the least, wrong platform for protesting. Simple solution, don't broadcast, televise this. All right, now here's an interesting text as well, and I I don't disagree. Only one player was kneeling at the beginning of the year, at least until President Trump brought massive attention to it among his supporters. Unfortunately, many players fell for the distraction hook, line, and sinker. The controversy opened up another front in the culture war to the detriment of all Americans, which is why, see, that's that's why the NFL should have passed a rule stopping this during the summer. And, I mean, I I agree. President Trump caused this to explode by making this an issue. And then, of course, it became even more political because then you had the people who don't like President Trump deciding that they're going to try to side with the NFL players. Um, It's just... But that's why the NFL should have done something about this last summer and made the whole, whole issue go away. Just saying. Hey, by the way, I would be remiss if I did not mention this. Um, I am now on Twitter... And I was kind of dragged. I wasn't drag kicking and screaming, but I was encouraged to get on Twitter and you can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620. One of the things I try to do is on a daily basis, I will tweet out, first of all, what the three big things are every day, but also links to some of the stories that we are going to be talking about on the show. And matter of fact, several of the things we covered uh, already The Vin Scully story sent out a link to that. The woman who got fired for making the obscene gesture sent out a link to that as well. So if you want to head start on what's going on in the program, just follow me on Twitter. Again, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 Kevin Nicholson, who is running for the U.S. Senate against Leah Vukmir. They're running for the GOP nomination to challenge uh, Tammy Baldwin. And as I have said before, um, I... At least so far, I have not endorsed, although I, I think I might end up doing that at some point in time in this election. But but they're challenging. Leah Vokmir is, of course... Senator from Brookfield, very, very well known. She's been a leader and a fighter for conservative causes for a long time. Nicholson is, is back in the state. He's got, he was a Democrat when he was younger. His family's apparently big Democrats. Um, he is supported by the Steve Bannon's kind of the flamethrower wing of the Republican party and, Nicholson's had a tough time. Um, after the Bannon endorsement, he's apparently in Jefferson County, and he's going after Paul Ryan, talking about how Paul Ryan doesn't have a – Paul Ryan has a light footprint in the state. And the last thing you know is some semi-carpetbagger with huge ties to the Democrats coming in and, and talking about Paul Ryan and things like that. Well, apparently, Journal Sentinel reporting, Dan Bice got this story about um, – actually, Bill Glauber has a story about how – Nicholson gets into a peeing match with Margaret Farrow. Margaret Farrow is perhaps one of the most respected Republicans in state history. Margaret Farrow was a state senator from Waukesha. She was the first female lieutenant governor. Apparently what ends up happening is um, there's this event called grazing with the elephants where Republican Party members get to. talk one-on-one with elected officials and candidates, Margaret Farrell apparently goes up to Nicholson and says, you know, why did you come back to Wisconsin to run for the Senate and the presidency, which she says, I understand that's his goal here, when we have people here that understand Wisconsin. She says she then asked him what the 10 most important things going on in Wisconsin were, and he responds with a reference to his Marine service. She says, look, I'm going to be working against you, at which point in time, um, he says he moves away and turns him, Pharaoh over to his wife, who takes off on me. Um, the guy's wife then says, you should never talk to her husband that way. He is a Marine. Huh. Um, Pharaoh then says she told the wife that she respected her husband's service, but that didn't give him special avenues to elected office, at which point in time, apparently Nicholson's wife says, okay, we're not resolved. It says, um, Uh, You know, we're not resolving anything. And then the candidate says, I don't want you talking to my wife anymore. I'll pray for you. (laughs) Okay, wonderful. All right, I'm just telling you, picking on, trying to pick fights and be disrespectful to people like Margaret Farrow and Jim Sensenbrenner and Paul Ryan and a lot of people who've been fighting the battles in this state for years and years and years, just seems to me to be an odd way to go about trying to get yourself elected to the U.S. Senate. Just saying. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner. 235, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, Drew, who's producing the show. I have two topics I want to try to get to between now and the end of the program. You're saying, yeah, Jeff, good luck. Okay, here's the first story. Um, It it comes out of a high school in Miami, but it's got these larger points. When I was... When I was in high school, not that long ago, maybe a little while ago, Nicolet High School in Glendale, they used to have, this this was back in the 70s, it was the time of free love, not that you were finding free love at the high school, but it was at the time, they had smoking lounges. I've told this story, you could smoke in my high school. I mean, this was this was the '70s, and if you had if you were 16 or older and you had a parent's permission, you could smoke in the high school. They had designated smoking lounges, which like outside areas, and also some of the bathrooms. I always I've told this story before. I always remember. I, I went into like the boys' bathroom one day, and there's two guys sitting cross-legged, smoking cigarettes and eating their bag lunches off the floor of the bathroom. And even back then, I remember thinking. I hope I never need a cigarette so bad that I'm going to eat my lunch off the floor of a bathroom. And and But, but th- this is how things have changed. But there was also open campus. And what that meant was you could come and go. If you were an upperclassman, you could come and go during the course of the school day. Now, but... But there was a now that was actually very convenient for me because I grew up three blocks away from the high school, so you could walk back and forth, you could go home for lunch and things like that. But there was a catch to it; you had to you had to be maintaining a certain average. I think it was a B average at the time, but I, I could be wrong. But you know, it was the the idea was if you're going to have these privileges, you had to have a certain average. You know, you had to have a certain grade average, and it was an incentive. And the way everybody looked at it was it was an incentive to, you know, get some of these perks, to be able to participate in the open campus. Okay, so here's, here's the deal, and this kind of shows how perhaps things have changed over the years. There is this high school outside of Tampa Bay, and they this year launched a program um, that, that and the, I mean, the way it's being presented is they would reward students, students who have at least a 2.0 GPA. We're not talking about the honor roll students. We're not talking about the kids who are straight A's. We're not even talking about the kids who have the B average. We're talking about kids who have at least a 2.0 grade point average, which would be a C average, and good attendance. Um, good attendance means less than four absences. Okay, So you have to be showing up. And you have to be doing at least C-level work overall and no Fs. You, you can't be failing any classes. You have to have a 2.0 average, and you can't have four absences, all right, or more. If that's the case, you get a wristband, and the wristband gives you certain special privileges, like being allowed to eat your lunch outside of of the cafeteria. So the the idea being, hey, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, you know, reward and, you know, motivate, you know, people that, that are there. So if you get this wristband um, and they call it, you know, they actually call it being, being on track, presumably being on track to graduate. So the idea is this will encourage if you want to. Get some of these little perks, for example, like being able to eat your lunch outside, um, instead of being in the lunchroom. You know, you gotta show up and you have to be doing at least sea level work. Well, all right, some people are behind this 100%. This is great. It's incentive. Predictably, a number of people are just appalled by this. I think the program needs to go away. It's not good for anybody. This new lunch policy is segregating the students. Oh, this is just terrible. You know, you know, we're letting the, the, the kids that are struggling, the kids that have the lower grades, they're trapped like cattle in the cafeteria, and everybody else gets to go off and enjoy things. All right, four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text line. Again, and maybe I'm dating myself, but back, back when I was in high school, the the by by allowing the B students, for example, the people who showed up and had you know were, were doing B work, that was viewed as a a reward, and it was viewed as an incentive for people to try to get their grades up and to show up in class. Now, this high school tries to do it, and they say, hey, we're going to give you special perks if you're showing up and you're doing at least C-level work. Like, you you don't have to eat in the cafeteria. And people are denouncing this. Oh, this is terrible. You're discriminating against kids. 414-799-1620. That is the acunate mortgage talk and text line. I don't know about you, but I don't have a problem with a program that gives what I'm going to describe. I don't view this as punishing the kids who are not showing up or the kids who you know aren't keeping their grades up I view this as rewarding the kids that are and again we're, we're talking about you know even doing C level work this isn't like if you're in the honor roll it's saying okay if you're doing what we consider to be on track work and you're showing up yeah we're gonna give you a couple perks it's not a punishment, it's an incentive to try to show up and you know do the work. 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't have a problem with a program like this, and I guess my claim would be to the parents who, who do, Well, maybe you need to get involved and maybe you make sure your kid shows up for class or maybe, you know, you need to work with your kid to get them up to at least C-level work. Because the truth of the matter is, if they're if they're not doing at least C-level work and have no failing grades, you know, they're they're not on track anyways. Okay, is this so is this horrible? Is this punishing? Is this punitive or is this something that? Well, actually makes a lot of sense. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty is the number. GRU is lining up the calls we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's two forty one. This is Jeff Wagner, six twenty W T M J. 245 Jeff Wagner 620 WTMJ Kevin from Muskego Texas as little as 10 years ago a program like this would have never even been a story we need to reward achievement um let's see another text I would sooner have these kids le- learn to deal with disappointment sooner or later they have to deal with disappointment there's nothing wrong with rewarding hard work uh, Tom in West Bend says life is tough get a helmet that's Wagner's rule of life number one suck it up buttercup hit the books a little harder show up at school on a regular basis behave yourself and you could be rewarded also yeah we're talking about this program, I I, I'm just stunned that this is even controversial. But but it is. This Florida High School, they say, okay, if you if you have a 2.0 GPA, a C average, less than four absences, and no failing grades you get this little wristband, and the wristband gives you certain minor perks, including like at lunch hour, you don't have to stay in the cafeteria, you can go eat your lunch somewhere else. You've got all these parents and these kids who are just absolutely outraged. Oh, this is terrible. You know, you're segregating the students. This is awful. I don't know. Have we really come to that point? I mean, like I say, when I was at Nicolet in the 70s, I mean, you you could leave the campus. They gave – it wasn't viewed as a punishment. It was a perk. It was an incentive. Keep your grades up, and if you're an upperclassman, we'll let you leave the campus during the day. Uh, Let's talk to Trish in South Milwaukee. Trish, good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Trish.
2: Uh, My thought was, why are they concerned with where the kids eat lunch if the kids aren't showing up anyway? Wouldn't they eat lunch wherever
0: they are? Yeah, well, I think it, it's not just right. It's not just the the showing up. Um, no, thanks call. It It's also the grades. It's the idea that you know we we want to we want to encourage you to be what we call on track. You know, um, which is. Okay, not failing classes and having a C average, and let, let's face it, in today's high schools really having a C average. I mean, we're not talking about making the honor roll. We're not talking about straight trade it. We're talking about a C average. Come on, and you know, it's it's in many places it's not that hard to do that. So that that's what they're trying to do, and you know, show up. So it's not just the attendance, but but the idea is let's let's give a reward to the people that are, that are making the grades. Greg in Waukesha. Greg, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good afternoon.
1: Hi, Jeff.
2: Great Hi. topic. Thank you, sir. Um, I just want to say this is a great college preparatory tool. If you miss, as someone who graduated um, with my bachelor's from a um, local private university, if you miss a class or two or three in college, you can be sunk that yeah. class, you can be absolutely sunk. And really, like you just said, come on, how hard is it in high school? I wish it were harder in high school to get, you know, right? Like, like, you know, I wish high schools were more difficult. But, oh. um, you know, how how hard is it to get a C average? And this is just a great great incentive. So,
0: yeah, no, thank You, I'm, I'm you know, it's it's interesting. You you should mention that people always asked me, did you find law school to be hard? And and my answer was, no, I found it. And again, I, I went to law school a number of years ago, but I found it to be more intense. I, I found if you had good study habits, and I think I developed decent study habits in, in high school, I found college to be more intense than high school but still if you had those those good study habits and and you you understood when you had to work and you had to do the re-reading and you had to show up i i felt that you know you were primed for success similarly similarly when i went to law school i, I found law school to be like college but more intense. I mean you just had to do the work, but if you had if you had those study skills, you know, you were you were going to you were going to be okay. Now, obviously there's some people that're smarter than others and people understand how to apply the work and different aptitudes and all those type of things, but it was just it was kind of this logical progression, which is one of the reasons why I've just always felt that it's you know, it's so important if you want to have academic success, it it does start early. And not necessarily with the obsession about, hey, did did you do well in, you know, chemistry class or whatever, but rather with learning those different study skills that you need to kind of, you know, follow, that will follow you through life. And I guess I just look at this and I say, we're really, we're talking about kids with a 2.0 grade point average, no failing grades, and, and people are going to get upset. And like the headline I was looking at, they're segregating students. Well, I'm, when I hear segregating students, I think we're dividing the white kids from the black kids from the Hispanic kids. No, we're just saying, hey, you know, if you're doing okay, if you're on the track we want you to be on, we're going to give you a couple perks. Um, here's a text. There are few enough rewards for academic achievement. This is no different than those who accomplish more in sports being rewarded um yes but apparently it has become i guess controversial over time all right stick around a lot of stuff still coming up on the program before we turn it over to john mccure it is 250 this is jeff wagner